Welcome to the Kingo Podcast, where we interview published authors, screenwriters, and story consultants to answer the question, what makes a great story? If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so that we can continue to grow and learn more storytelling tips from our special guests. Let's start today's show. Let's start the show with a few writing tips. Here's a writing tip about character arcs. Let's write a character arc by working backwards. First, we can start with the character's ultimate choice. The character will be forced to choose between what they want and what they need. This is often a choice between two value systems. Does the character choose to sacrifice themselves or others? Does the character choose to stay with their old family or go with their new family, as in Toy Story 2? Does the character choose between desperately holding on to the past or honoring the past by living in the present, as in Up? Once you've decided the character's choice, you'll know that the character will need to make, or at least be willing to make, the opposite choice at the beginning of the story. So now we know that a character will go from one value system to another, or from a moral weakness to moral health. What's going to happen to make that change? It's a self-revelation. Determine the moment that your character will learn their lesson and consider what might happen in their life that will trigger this lesson. Remember that we tend to only look within when we have no one else to blame. Finally, consider what moral weakness your character might have that would have caused them to adopt the value system that they hold in the beginning of the story. Why are they acting immorally in the beginning of the story? Was there some past injustice, misfortune, trauma, or obsession? Creating this type of positive character arc can be fairly straightforward. We determine the character's choice at the end, determine the opposite choice at the beginning, determine the moment that would change that choice, that is, the self-revelation, and then determine what weakness would have caused them to choose incorrectly in the beginning of the story. What's your character's arc? And finally, here's a writing tip about the antagonist. You may have heard the general guideline that the antagonist should be just as powerful, if not more powerful, than the protagonist. Why is that? Well, one important reason is that the antagonist is often the greatest catalyst of change for the protagonist. Recall that the function of the antagonist, or of the forces of antagonism, is to provide opposition to the protagonist's desire. This is a dramatic function. Through opposition, the antagonistic force makes the protagonist decide just how much they're willing to risk and sacrifice for their desire. When the antagonistic force is strong enough, the protagonist will often arrive at a point where the desire seems to be completely unattainable. It's at this point that the protagonist can finally look inside and consider that a personal change may be the only thing that can help them reach their desire. Dramatic opposition in the form of the antagonist is often the thing that catalyzes the story's thematic change. If our story has a weak, or even non-existent, antagonistic force, the protagonist's desire will likely never be put in any real danger, and often if there's no threat to the desire, the protagonist will have no reason to change their immoral behavior. This is the thematic value of a strong, dramatic antagonist. An antagonist forces the protagonist to change. As with most things, the problem embodied in antagonistic opposition later shows itself to be an opportunity. So how can we help our story's antagonist serve as the best source of change for the protagonist? Well, one thing is, we can ensure that the antagonist holds an opposite belief system from the protagonist. We can also ensure that the antagonist forces the protagonist to question their own belief system, often breaking it down and building it up stronger than before. In the first half of Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear is the antagonist who stands in opposition to Woody's desire to be the top toy. While Woody believes that a toy is only valuable in proportion to how much they're played with, Buzz doesn't even believe he's a toy. Buzz is the direct opposite in his worldview. And just as a quick reminder, if you want a fresh writing and storytelling tip every day, be sure to follow Kingo on our Instagram and Twitter accounts with the username Kingo Creative. You can also find us at Kingo.com, K-I-I-N-G-O.com. And now, let's get to the interview. Today's guest is Julie Duffy. Julie is a writer, speaker, and creativity coach. She's the host of Story a Day, a creativity challenge where writers write and finish a short story every day of the month. It's hosted in both May and September. She also runs the Story a Day podcast, and we are excited to have her on the show. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. 
and it is great to have you. And I was checking out the Story a Day website and everything you're doing, so I'd love to hear more about that. But first of all, I wanted to ask you about your short story framework. Well, this is something that I developed over the years, um, trying to help people to break through any blocks they have about writing stories. Now, the first thing I did was, you know, launch story a day and challenge people to write a story every day. Because if you try that for a month, you're necessarily going to teach yourself how to get through some of your writing blocks. But for people starting out or for people who haven't done it before, it became very clear to me that there's, there's you know, a number of ways to write stories, but one very simple version is the narrative story. And if you're a novelist or a screenwriter, you know the the rising action and the falling action and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's, there's, there's frameworks for telling a story, whether you're talking to someone or whether you're writing it down. And so what I wanted to do was really pair that back and help people to see that writing a short story can be relatively simple. Uh, so I start them off with, I, I encourage them, you know, all storytelling really starts with a character. I think we all <laughs> agree on that. And, you know, your story is not going to matter to your reader unless it has a character that they empathize with or that they at least can feel something for. So I came up with this framework where I, I encourage people to think about a character first and then to give that character an adjective. So if it's a mommy blogger, maybe she's a fretful mommy blogger or an ambitious mommy blogger. Or if he's a father, maybe he is a um, dissatisfied father or dissatisfied husband or you know something that tells us a little bit about what their problem is going to be. And then I go into the, the difficult part of the story, of course, is always the middle, where you're complicating things. And so I take people through a process of, um, first of all, thinking about that character and what they want, and then what they might do to try and achieve that aim, and then leading them through this sort of Mad Libs exercise of thinking through, because of that, this will happen. And then thinking about what the character has done because of that, something else will happen until eventually something's got to change. And then we get to the end of the, the story. So I developed this and I've been developing it over the years and making it a little more, you know, refining it uh, over the years to try and help people just sort of, there's nothing more frustrating than sitting down to write and then realizing that you either don't have an idea or you only have an idea and you get lost in the middle and you've just kind of carved this hour out of your day for writing and it's so hard one and then you go off track. And I'm by no means a plotter or a planner, uh, but I've definitely found over 10 years of, of doing this Story A Day May and now Story A Day September as well and trying to churn out as many stories as first drafts as possible, I have found that it helps to have a plan of some sort. And it starts with character. So that's why I came up with this framework. I love that. And I love that you mentioned creating the character and adding an adjective. So you give a bit more depth just right off the bat. And you also mentioned giving the character a desire and creating empathy for the character. Have you found there to be some desires that are more empathetic than others? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think if you're writing about the basic ones. I mean, if you look at something like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you have things like safety and shelter, um, love, if it's, if it's familial love, that can be very strong. Um, if it's just that ambition is not terribly sympathetic, uh, necessarily it can be. I mean, if somebody's got a really great reason for being ambitious, uh, there's nothing wrong with ambition. I mean, I'm ambitious. I want, to, you know, I want to do well. I want to use my talents, but uh, it's it's not necessarily the most immediately, you know, empathy-inducing because it depends on where it's coming from. And I think that's that's something that um, the more you can dig, the deeper you can dig into your character and your character's past before you even start writing about them, the more. Um, sympathy and, and emotion you can create. Because if you know that your character is kind of um, downtrodden, or if your character isn't very uh, proactive, 
that's one thing. But if you know that they aren't proactive because they had these helicopter parents who talked down, talked them down all the time and ruined all their confidence, and then they had a series of bad boyfriends or girlfriends who were really domineering. And if you know this stuff, it's not necessarily going to be in your story, but it gives you a deeper understanding of the character and means that you can then make them react in ways that will feel so much more realistic and so much more grounded in real human experience. Even if you're writing about a wizard or an alien or a dog, you know, if you can, if you can reach back into why the character is the way they are, that, that is probably more powerful than even deciding on what the desire is. And, and that allows you to, that allows you to think about why they screw up <laughs> because I, I don't know about you, but like when I watch sitcoms or, or things, I get really annoyed when, or even dramas, I get really annoyed when the character does something and you're just sitting there screaming at the t TV. You're going, just tell her. Why won't you just tell her? But if you know that being truthful in their childhood got them into all kinds of trouble, then you have a little more sympathy and you don't need to put that explicitly into the story, but there are ways that you can convey that to your reader, that this is a deep, a deep behavior that has served them well in the past. Um, that's kind of screwing up their life now. I love that. I love kind of that trauma from the childhood causing, it caused them problems to act a certain way. And that brings into their adulthood. That's interesting. And I also like how you were talking about wrapping these familiar human emotions in maybe a, an unfamiliar story world like wizards, for instance. So if you've got your pen and your paper or your cursor blinking, uh, how do you come up with story ideas or story seeds? How do you start from nothing? Uh, that's interesting because starting from nothing would be really, really difficult. But I don't think that anyone who has an interest in writing and is taking it seriously is ever really going to be starting from nothing. I think that we all wander around the world grabbing stuff and collecting characters and ideas, whether or not we're writing them down in a little notebook or whether we're just wandering. Like I know before I started taking my writing seriously again, I was daydreaming all the time. And I figured, you know, I might as well start putting that stuff down on paper. So um, there's a number of ways that you can jumpstart writing day. One is to think about characters that you might be interested in. Another one is to think about things that make you mad. Like if you're gearing up to do a big rant on Facebook about the issue of the day, maybe step back and go, you know what, maybe there's a story I could be telling here and a character that I could put these outrageous, um, outrageous statements into their mouth and then have another character who plays off that, you know, so instead of getting annoyed at your friends and family, maybe turn it into a story. Um, another thing, other things that you can do is you can take other people's stories and work from them. You know, uh, a song that you love, you could take a line from that or a character from that and, and think, what if, what if, you know, what if this person, when the song is over, what would they do next? And I, I yeah, so there's all kinds of ways to come up with something that's not really from nothing, but the closer you can get to something that you really, really care about then the more likely it is that you're going to be able to sustain that either through a short story or through a whole screenplay. You are already giving me story ideas right now. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you men mentioned previously that, you know, over the years you've come to learn that it can be helpful to have a basic outline of your story and, or, or rather perhaps build out a character that can help you uh, explore that story. So, do you also sort of outline your theme beforehand or do you write it and then look back on it and think about what it's saying? I would say for me, most often, it, it's not until the story's finished that I really know what it's about. And that's one of the reasons that I really strongly encourage people to finish everything. And with Story A Day, I tell people, you know, start and finish a story every day, which sounds insane and kind of is, but even if it's just a draft uh, and there's lots of bits in the middle that are missing, or you can see possibilities for other um, adventures in the middle, things that they can try and fail at. Even if you, you don't get it all written in one day, if you get to the end, you get a real strong sense. Quite often I find that it's only when I'm writing the kind of, the very end of the climax, and I'll discover a line in there which could 
completely contains my theme. And it isn't necessarily what I set out to write. Like I thought I was going to write a funny story about, you know, two aliens and a sandwich. And it turns out that I'm writing something which is about alienation or, you know, and quite often you'll find that there's a line right in there, which is either your title or is your theme. And then you can go back to the beginning and you can set that up when you're doing your rewrites. That's excellent. It absolutely makes sense. So it's interesting. I, I heard this advice that it's valuable to prioritize quantity over quality sometimes in the sense that quantity often leads to quality. Have you found that to be the case with Story a Day? I absolutely have. And I really resisted that advice at first. I thought that was really stupid. I thought, I, I thought how could that possibly be true? I've got talent and I want to, don't want to, you know, I don't want to, to waste my talent just churning out nonsense. And then I thought, well, you know, I'll try it. And I tried it. And it's absolutely true. I mean, if you sit there trying to write something good, you will block yourself completely. Whereas if you give yourself permission to just write lots and trust that something will come and trust that, you know, it, this isn't like chiseling away at marble. If we make mistakes, it's fine. <laughs> we can fix it all. Um, so yeah, I really resisted that idea. And I definitely came to believe that, that it was true. And I tried it in a, a less extreme form and became convinced that, yes, you do need to just write a lot. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to make this commitment to write a story a day for a month the first time. And it, but it, again, as the years have gone on, I've realized that just sitting down and writing a certain amount of words a day, or um, just sitting down and writing for an hour a day, that can be frustrating in itself because you don't get the sense that you're actually crafting something necessarily. So to having a focus on finishing pieces has allowed me to um, create drafts that uh, teach me about storytelling more than reading about storytelling will do, more than listening to you and I talking about storytelling will do. Um, hopefully we'll be helping some people to get inspired here, but there, nothing is going to teach you to write like just sitting down and writing. And if you can write completed pieces, whether it's a short story or a scene or a chapter, um, Finishing it will will make you see what you're talking about and writing more and more of it and just allowing you finding tricks to allow yourself to write a lot uh, are can be really helpful. One of the the prompts that I give at Story a Day and I give it every year because it works so well is that I give people a list of words and I think the first year they were from my kids' um, spelling list. I think it was in third grade or something. And uh, and I give people this list of words and it's like lettuce and, you know, wolf and whatever else. And I, I change it up every year and people are kind of horrified by that. And then they have a blast because I've lowered the bar for them so much. And I say to them, listen, you don't need to write a good story today. Challenge yourself just to write something and use these words. And every year people are amazed at the fact that they managed to get something that they actually quite liked out of that ridiculous prompt. And it's like three quarters of the way through the challenge and they've been writing all this stuff, but now they're warmed up and and, and they'll find a few lines in every story that they really love and that, that just say to them, yeah, you're good at this. You can do this. You've got a talent. And if you're just, if you're only sitting down to write once a week or once a month, then you're, you're just not going to get those moments often enough to sustain you through the difficult parts. That's great. So over the years of doing this, a story a day, has it gotten easier? No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, it's a little easier because I know I've done it before. Hmm. Um, but And I've got some tricks. Like I, I'll always recommend to people, look at the prompt or look at your, you know, people can opt to do my prompts or they can write their own thing. But, you know, start thinking about it as early in the day as you can. Don't put it off. Um, even though like we try, we tend to shy away from difficult things, you know, we, we'll, we'll put it off till later. But if you can look at your story idea first thing in the morning and then let it percolate during the day while you're doing whatever else you have to do, if you can't write first thing in the morning, then at least look at it and then um, spend the day just turning ideas over in your head and in, in down moments, you know, when you're standing at the coffee machine or whatever. 
and and then write, you know, a, give yourself a, a period of time to write in the evening and you'll have all that stuff. So there's some tricks like that, which I, I can share, which will definitely make it easier to get to the desk and to get something done. I mean, and also like not not waiting and not saving all your good ideas for the start of a big challenge, whether it's starting your novel or, or doing a challenge like this. The very first year I did it, I was telling people, this is what I'm going to do. And other people were like, oh, I'll do it with you. And like a hundred people joined. I was like, oh, very exciting. So I thought that it would be a fantastic idea to not write anything in April and just save all my good ideas for me. And then I ended up, you know, on May the 1st, like literally putting my pen on the page and having to make squiggles because I just couldn't, like the idea of starting was just so overwhelming and I hadn't written anything in so long. I certainly hadn't finished anything, um, you know, which was part of the reason for me starting this. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, don't save your good ideas. There will always, always be more ideas. That's the thing that it's definitely become easier is knowing that the more ideas you use, the more ideas you will have. And I know that having done this so much that if I really commit to it, that if I write my story and I let it go and that as I walk through the day, I will be looking for story ideas, which goes back to your first question of how you make something from nothing. If you know that you are going to be writing tomorrow, you will walk through the world looking at it as a writer does and everything becomes fodder and you're not sleepwalking. You are paying attention and you're smelling things and you're touching things and you're noticing things. So in that respect, it becomes easier. The more you do, the more you trust that you're going to be able to do it. But in terms of starting a new story, every time is difficult. And in terms of getting through the middle of a story, every time is difficult. <laughs> That is amazing. It, I love that idea, though, of sort of idea momentum, that the more you use it, the more you can maintain that momentum. Yeah. And, and the, the, more, the more ideas you use up, the more connections you make, the more interesting little things you see. And you start to notice, like, if you read an article online, you'll be like, oh, I could use that. And oh, I could use that. You know, you just, if you're in that creative state, you have so much, you're alert. And, and this is another reason that I always encourage people to write as much as they can, because even if you're tired, even if it's the end of a long day, you use a different kind of energy to write. And I, I find, and I think most people find that it actually energizes them to do the thing that you are good at, to do the thing that you love. It feeds you in a way that slumping in front of the TV doesn't, even though that's sometimes fine. And, you know, watching other people's stories is great. And sometimes that is all what you need. But the temptation to do a passive task is very, very strong, especially when you're tired and your brain's wrung out from a day at work. But quite often you'll find that if you sit down and start doing the work that you love and that feeds you, you end up just getting energized and, and running on a different kind of energy. So I'm always encouraging people to um, give it a shot. You know, even if you, you think you're too tired, try and write something. That is so true that the thing you love just fills you with energy. That's a great insight there. And I can talk about, you know, like when I, when I was, um, even when I was writing, before I started Story A Day, my husband got into board games and this was right when I had just had our second kid. So I wasn't sleeping and, and like, you know, life is not great with a newborn, <laughs> but he was very, very excited about these new, you know, these board games, this obsession that he just discovered. And I would, that's when I really, I first noticed that sometimes, you know, doing different activities can give you a different kind of energy because I would drag myself to the table at 9.30 at night and he'd, you know, open up this game and explain it. And then we'd start to play. And, and I, yeah, I was sure I was still tired, but it was, you know, I was doing something with my husband that was giving us, you know, just a, a a time together and, and it was stimulating my intellect uh, in a way that being with kids all day didn't. Um, yeah. So it's, it's not just, not just writing, but th you know, things that you, things that you love, like you say, um, fire you up in a different way. So can you tell us a little bit about your tips for writer's block, overcoming that and writing habits in general? Yes. Uh, one of the things I love about what we were talking about, about writing a lot is that it's not just about writing a lot. It's about building habits. And the more you 
the more you sit down to write, the more you will understand that it's not necessarily that you can't write today or that you lack willpower. You don't lack willpower. You just maybe haven't found the right habit yet. Like maybe you're trying to write, get up at five o'clock in the morning and write first thing before you go out and start your day. And that's just not working for you. It doesn't mean that you can't write. It means that you haven't found the habit that works for you yet. So it's one of the things I like about story a day is if you sit down to write every day and you know that you're going to be writing tomorrow, it's not, you don't waste any time negotiating with yourself. Will I write? Will I get up and write? Will I stay up late and write? You're just like, I am going to be writing tomorrow. I need to find the time. And if you do it day after day after day, and I'm not saying that you need to write every day for the rest of your life, but if you do a push where you write day after day after day, and you know that non-negotiable you're going to be writing tomorrow, you're going to discover your best habits. I can't tell you when is the best time of day for you to write? I can't tell you what is the best kind of story for you to write. But if you put yourself in that position of developing habits, you know, whether, whether it is, you'll discover stuff. You'll discover whether, you know, writing with a fountain pen in a notebook is the best way for you to start a story or whether firing up your laptop and tippity tapping away is the best way for you to, to write. But it's important to build the habits that work for you because it short circuits that whole guilt thing about um, about why you're not writing. Sometimes we're just depleted, you know. We're just we're just it's it's hard to do the whole process from making the decision to sit down and write to making the decision about what to write to making the decision about where to write. And then once you've done all that, you've got to actually start doing the writing. So if you can create habits for yourself, whether it is, you know, lighting a particular scented candle that says to your brain, this is writing time, or being in a particular place that says to your brain, this is writing time. Anything you can do to make it more automatic to get, to short, shorten the time between the decision to write and getting into the story, then that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> and so building habits that work for you right now and allowing them to change over time is also really valuable. That's powerful. I love that idea of kind of setting aside the physical space too to get yourself in the mental space to start writing. It can be really helpful, but it can be a little dangerous if you are um, if you are a creature of habit, if you're the kind of person that, that likes that kind of thing, and if you can't get to that physical space, then that can stall you as much. So I like to have multiple things. Like I like to sit in a certain place, but I like to listen to a certain soundtrack. So even if I can't get to this desk, if I'm in a coffee shop and I put that soundtrack on, something in my brain will still go, oh, writing time. Oh, that's great. So it's it's really about the triggers then. Yeah, yeah. And and taking as much of the decision making out of the process because making decisions is exhausting. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, I think the neuroscience backs me up there. <laughs> it does. I've heard that <laughs> we actually are less able to make decisions in the evenings. We're using up all of our supply. That's right. If you're going if you're going to get um, you know, sentenced, try and get a try and get a, a court date, you know, before lunch like first thing in the morning and the judge will be much more lenient. <laughs> Incredible, but good to know. Very good to know. I want to ask another craft question, actually. Do you ever, do your stories usually have villains? Do you craft the villain beforehand or do you do stories where kind of the character self-sabotages? Adds a lot of self-sabotage in my stories. I'm not sure what that says about me, um, but yeah. But sometimes it can be really fun to come up with a villain and give them it, it and and to be honest it's easier to structure a story if you have two characters at least because they can talk to each other they can play off each other they can be the um they can be the mirror image of each other i heard a, a description of a villain or an antagonist once that really rang true with me and it was that your antagonist is what your protagonist, what your hero could be if they took that one more step over the line. And that's a really interesting dynamic that I like to play with. Um, I do find that I do, I do a lot of the you know internal problems in my stories, but then the problem with that is that you end up doing a lot of internal thought 
and you maybe don't put somebody into the story so you don't get as much dialogue and dialogue is great for injecting action into your story and making it less kind of passive and telling and um, if you're struggling with the difference between showing versus telling dialogue can be a great way to get around that and to to really involve the reader it's also a great way to uh cut down on word count which for short story writing is is great because if you can have someone just give a pithy comment instead of having to sort of explain what's happening that can be useful so i do try try more i am i am trying to get more uh character conflict and and character villains so to speak into my stories yeah well it's just a great point that uh, having the characters play out what otherwise could be going on internally in a character's head so you know like you said that really goes into show don't tell do you have any other tips on show don't tell uh so it's a tough one to do without examples i find because mm. People don't always know, you know, we, we hear it so often, show, don't tell. Um, that's a great point. I should come, I should come arm, armed with uh, examples of that. Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges with show, don't tell is it's, we all feel that it's true, but when you actually come time to think about how do I apply it, it's very ethereal and mysterious. Okay, so here's a thing. I have um, in the short story framework, which I think you've, you've seen the, the, the download of. Um, my story example that I give is an, an ambitious mummy is pursuing acceptance uh, at a prestigious college for her kid. That's that's her want. And so the first thing she does is she hires a tutor, but it doesn't help. Um, and we go on like that. And at the end of it, I suggest that to close out the story in a satisfying way, you one of the ways to do that is to create a closing image um, there's also, you can also do it, uh, various, various ways you can do it. One of the things that I do is, is talk about um, a closing image. So in my example, I say, and this is me telling because it's just my notes to myself. And I think that's often why we get into telling in stories is that we are just telling the story to ourselves first because we need to work it all out. So here's what I say. I say, um, at the end of the story, she's sipping a last oversized glass of white wine in her vast kitchen. So that's that's sort of, you know, there's some description in there. It's an oversized glass. It's white wine. She's in a vast kitchen. But if I was to write it better than that, I might say that she uh, left a smear of lipstick on the oversized glass the as the um, tart Chardonnay slipped over her tongue, which is kind of gross. I wouldn't say that. Um, she... Uh, let's see what's her mood she's frustrated so she bangs the or she clatters the the glass down on the granite surface the the dark granite surface and her heels clicked as she walked across the italian uh tile floor you know like that's that i haven't told you that she's in her vast kitchen um but you know, you can hear the echo of her steps around the, on the tile floor. Um, so that's that's the kind of difference between the two. And it's, you know, if I'd said that she's sipping a last oversized glass of white wine in her vast, vast kitchen and then went on to say she put the glass down on the counter, the, you know, which was dark and grey. And that's a lot of words. And it's all very much like if somebody, if you were watching a movie this is another example I'm stealing from someone else. I don't remember who, but they were like, they said, if, if you're sitting in a movie theater watching what's happening on the screen and somebody leans forward and taps you on the shoulder and goes, see there, she's frowning because she's upset. Like you don't need people to do that. You show it. So those are some of the ways that I've, I have to try and help uh, think about the difference between telling and showing. And I always say to people, you know, in your first draft, it can be necessary to do some telling because you're telling yourself. You're telling yourself where people are. You're blocking out the scene. You're trying to uh, figure out what matters. It's a question of picture, of, of being able to pick up on that stuff and excise it on a second draft or train yourself not to do it in the first place, but not worry too much about it. Not worry about it to the extent that it stops you from telling the story. Yeah. And that was some great real-time writing. So thank you for letting us in on that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was, yeah, I, I was uh, uh, pulling faces and, and uh, self-editing as I went. But you know, you got to write the first yes, draft. So hey. No, honestly, <laughs> that was pretty cool to see. I appreciate it. So can you tell us a bit about Story A Day? What is it and how can people get involved? I would be happy to. Story A Day is an insane idea that I came up with in 2010. I had done a lot of challenges in the, I had done a lot of challenges in the past. Um, I, there was a, a site where you wrote 100 words a day and, and I followed along with things like Illustration Friday, although I can't draw, and I, well, not well, and I um, had been tempted by NaNoWriMo over the years uh, for a long time, it was. I think they had been going for maybe eight years by that point, and I'd always been tempted, but I just didn't see myself being able to write a novel because I didn't feel like I knew how to tell a story that big. And I, I love short stories. It wasn't just that I didn't want to write a novel. I just genuinely love short stories. And I think that's one of the reasons I like short stories is that I don't consider myself a planner or a plotter. And it's easy to start a short story and sort of hold the end of it in your head once you get going and figure out what matters. And you can kind of keep it all in your head and keep writing and get there much more easily than you can with a novel. You've got to, you've got to make some plans with a novel, even as you go along. But um, I'd, so I, I, I really was, I started to get grumpy about the fact that there wasn't something for short story writers. Every year, you know, NaNoWriMo would, would ramp up and, and all the novel writers would get all excited and they'd have all this solidarity and all this community and they would all do amazing things together. And I was like, nobody cares about the short story writers. And then I, you know, realized that maybe I did. And if I was going to complain about it, maybe I should do something about it. So uh, it kind of took, I was saying before I had two small children at the time and uh, that's that's not a great intellectually challenging time of life. It's busy and it's fascinating. But, you know, as an adult, you start to crave a little bit more. So um, I was just getting, it, it sort of came out of desperation. I was driving along on a February grey day in Pennsylvania and um, I, just this idea in the back of my head was like, I was just sick of listening to myself complain. So I was like, got to do something. Story a day, write a story a day for a month. And uh, and then I thought, right, okay, maybe I'll do it next month. And but next month was was poetry month, and the poets the poets have so little. I didn't want to take their month from them. Nobody respects the poets, so I was like, mate, story a day, mate. It rhymes. We'll do it. So I started telling people about this that we were going to start and finish. I was going to start and finish a story every day in May. This was in two thousand and ten. And a couple of my friends online were quite well connected and started talking about it as well. And like I say, all of a sudden, 100 people were like, oh, I'll do that too. Yeah, me, me, me too. So I threw up a website and I put up a couple of prompts for the first few days. And by about day four, it was getting a bit difficult to do prompts and stories on the same day. So I just kind of let it go. And I started getting emails from people saying, where's the prompt? Where's the prompt? <laughs> so it became a thing that I give prompts. Um, I always tell people that you are welcome to use my prompts if you need them. They're always kind of vague. They're not like, you know, uh, write a story with a hand uh, set in Birmingham and with a female protagonist. I don't do those kinds of things. I'll much more likely say, write a story in the first person today, or, you know, focus on some different aspect of the writing craft. And then the, the later we get into the month, I'll give, you know, more prescriptive prompts, like, you know, write a story about this painting or write a story with these words in it. But that's how it started. And um, I was I was just really, I figured that taking a big, since I wasn't able to finish a single story, clearly the sane choice was to try and finish a story every day for a month. And uh, it seems to have worked out okay. And other people out there are just as insane. So every year I do this and I it, it's hosted at storyaday.org. And I do put prompts up and year round now we have other things going on. So ev on the first of every month, um, I have a, a post at the site called Swagger, which is our serious writers accountability group, where you can post your goals for the month and uh, report on how you did last last month. Um, because, and, and you know, and so one of the things that I noticed during Story A Day May is that the people who turned up at the site every day and left a comment and said, "Yay, I wrote my story today," because we don't—I don't ask people to publish their stories anywhere. It's just meant to be for you. It's just your secret little, little uh, safe place. And people come to the site and they will post. I, I wrote my story today, and they might share a line from the story that they liked in the comments. And I noticed that the people 
who came and posted, even if they came to say, I didn't get my story written today, were the people who got the most written during the month. And friendships started to develop just in the blog comments. And uh, the more people felt accountable to the group, the more likely they were to be there at the end of the month. And I, I think that that's one of the most surprising things to me about Story A Day May is that it's really not about writing a story a day in May at all. Some people do it and some people do 31 stories and they do it every May. And some people come and they say, you know, I'm not going to do a story every day, but I'm going to write three stories a week this month. And it's it has become about community and it's become about accountability and support. And as somebody who is, I, I think most people who are attracted to writing have a touch of the introvert about them. We don't mind spending time alone in our in our rooms. I think there's a reason why one of the most popular, uh, first of all, blogs and now podcasts are popular with writers is because we don't have to show anyone who we are, um, but we can still communicate. So it seems like writing is a solitary activity, but being a writer is not a solitary thing. Being a writer is difficult. And the more you can do to put yourself in rooms with people who are pursuing that calling as well, and who will understand when you say, I've been tapping keys all day and I'm exhausted. <laughs> the more that you can do to connect with other people who are also writing, the more it seems like a legitimate thing to be doing. And the more you'll give yourself permission to do it, and the more you'll, you know, when you hear other people complaining about this or that aspect of writing, you'll realize that you actually know stuff and you've, you've had that problem before and you've solved it or, um, or that sounds really interesting or know your writing's not as bad as you think it is. You know, all, all of these things that we do for each other, it's, it's a, it's one of the more surprising aspects of having taken my writing, having taken my writing public and, uh, and, and opening up opening myself up to the, the writing community is just how powerful that, that is. It is such an exciting idea. And I love that it's another thing around which the whole writing community can, can gather. And like you said, build those relationships. It's fantastic. So you mentioned there's story a day in May, but there's also story a day in September, right? There is due to popular demand, believe it or not. Um, people were, you know, uh, were asking, are we going to do it again? And I, I, couldn't really face doing it every month. And I didn't want it to, um, I didn't want to dilute it too much because it is a big challenge. You can't go at that pace um, month after month after month. It's 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 something you, you do for a month and you learn from and then you absorb the lessons. And then in September, we do it again. Um, so for people who may, maybe May isn't the right time of the year for them or people who just, you know, the the buzz has worn off from May and they've fallen into bad ha old habits of, of not being as productive, then September gives them another kick in the pants and, and we run it all over again. Great. And you mentioned we can find you at storyaday.org. Is that right? Is there anywhere else? Um, I'm on uh, Twitter as storyadaymay, so at storyadaymay. Um, there is a Facebook page. I'm not a huge user of Facebook, um, but I, I'm also I have an Instagram. I think that's Story A Day May as well. Uh, yeah, so that's the main the main hub for the thing is storyaday.org. And as I say, there's um, the, the there's a I'll put prompts up in May and in September, and I also run a uh, more intense version of it for people who want to commit even deeper, and then they get extra content, and they um, we have. Um, monthly hangouts and things like that. So you can find th there's information about that there. But every month, like I said, on the first of the month, I have the swagger group where people can come. It's just basically a blog post. People can come and post their goals for the month. Every Wednesday, mostly, I put up a writing prompt throughout the year. Um, there's also some short story reviews out uh, on the site there, which, you know, if you don't know where to get started, writing a short story, the best thing to do is to read one. So there's some reviews there to help people find stories that they might like. I often find that when people recommend reading short stories, they recommend the same old, like the same old anthologies of, of stories that have been around for 50, 100 years. And they're not necessarily that exciting to a modern reader. Not that they're not good, but they're certainly not what's uh, selling today if people are interested in getting into submission. And they might not be things that, you know, if you're not 
into literary fiction, then reading stories by um, you know, a giant of literary fiction is not going to excite you. And that tends to be what goes into those anthologies. So I try and find stories um, from around the web and from, you know, web publications and science fiction publications and mystery, you know. So, because I think that if you're going to write anything, you have to love it and you have to, um, there, there, you have to be reading stuff that gets you excited to write. Um, and I, and I also, if, if I can go, claim back up on my soapbox for a minute, I don't think everyone should be writing short stories. There's this sense that you should be writing short stories to train yourself to write novels. And I think that's not necessary. It can help. And for people like me who have an affinity with short story fiction, like I really love short stories that are weird in form and they do things that novels can't do. But I'm aware that there are people out there who are just naturally long form storytellers and short stories irritate the heck out of them, both reading them and writing them. And if you are one of those people, then ignore every piece of advice you've ever been given about how you should write short stories first to learn how to tell stories. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't write anything that you hate. Just read lots of novels that you love and figure out what they're doing right and try it and, you know, do learn by writing the stuff you love. Yeah, that's just a great North Star to follow. And I will say that there's a lot of people actually in Story A Day who, um, who are novelists and they use short story, story A Day to do things like, um, well, I have, I have one friend who joined the first year and she was in the middle of um, submitting novels to publishers and agents and sort of getting ground down by that writing process. And she was getting, you know, it was just, it was just no fun anymore. So she was starting to not write and, and kind of lose her love for writing. She was still doing the things, she was sending stuff out and writing queries and hoping that this novel would get picked up eventually. But she wasn't really having fun. So when she heard about Story A Day, she was like, you know what, I can do that flash fiction every day. Sure, whatever. And, and it was, it didn't matter. You know, it wasn't, it didn't hold the weight of this novel that she was trying to sell. And so she joined in and she absolutely sparked her love of writing again. And then she's like, started rewriting her novel. And I'm not taking all the credit, but she did sell that novel and another one after it. <laughs> And people will use it for things like that, you know, either to write um, short stories that they can use as promotional giveaways in the world of their novel, or just to write backstories for their characters or for their world. So although I, although I just said you shouldn't write short stories if you don't want to, there are lots of reasons to learn the form if you know, if you're to use it as a palate cleanser or to use it for marketing or um, to use it to build a career and prove to people you're serious about your writing or to do background research or, you know, lots of reasons to do it and lots of ways to use story a day that isn't anything to do with how I intended it to be used. And, you know, people come and they just are part of the community and, and that's absolutely great. Well, you know, I heard a really helpful way to think of story to, or short stories for the plotters is actually as a way to discover your characters. That, you know, sometimes plotters or conceptual writers don't have the most organic of characters or dialogue, but you can use short stories to figure out who those characters are. It's pretty interesting. Oh, I love that. I love the idea. Yeah, put them into like little stressful situations yes. that don't need to have anything to do with the main thrust of your, your novel. It doesn't have, they don't have to hold up anything to do with the plot that you're working on. Like put them in like, yeah, put them in little stress, different kinds of stressful situations and see how they act. You know, are they mean when they get stressed or are they charming? Um, and I, I don't know if you've uh, read Lisa Cron's book, Story Genius. She talks a lot about um, going back into your, your character's childhood to figure out what their damage is and, and why they act the way they do as an adult. And that's something that I, I know people have done, and I've certainly done, is take characters from a larger story and write that story of the childhood incident. Yeah, that's powerful. And it really gives you an insight into, yeah, it gives you much more of an insight into the, the character. And, and you can find ways, you know, like ways that they talk in different situations. And yeah, it, it doesn't all have to hold the, the um, exposition of a novel's plot. You can you can let them just banter with their friends and see what they sound like. Yes, 
And uh, well, Pixar has this thing called the elevator test where you put your character in the elevator and have it get stuck and see what they do. Stories are also great if you have an author platform, for instance, uh, and you have a newsletter for all your fans, you can release the short stories to those people who are really into the novel, for instance. Absolutely. I know that Diana Gabaldon does that. Um, you know, her books, the Outlander books, they're massive tomes and they're historical, so she needs to do research and stuff. But she uh, continuously writes little shorter pieces and then, you know, ships them out to her fans, either as freebies or as like little, almost like EPs, you know, I don't know if you're old enough to remember EPs, a little, you know, little short story collections. And uh, um, Tobias S. Bakel, who I, I follow on Patreon, he had, he, sends a short story every month to his his patron patrons and you know we send him a couple of bucks and that gives him a little more freedom to then take on novel projects that you know he might not other, otherwise have done or um, to do collaborations with friends or to you know sometimes the, the short stories themselves grow into a larger project i love that such an exciting model too for for authors to follow it is we have so many options now i mean it's it's hard to get rich as a writer, but we have so, so many opportunities now to get to our audience and connect with them and, you know, make a little bit of cash on the side if we want to. And nobody is telling us, no, you can't write and no, you can't share your story anymore. And that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here, Julie. I really appreciate it. I'm going to include links to in the show notes of storyaday.org and, and Twitter and such. So thank you again for taking the time. This has been brilliant advice. I've had a great time. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Julie for taking the time to be with us here today and for sharing her writing and storytelling wisdom. You can find links to her site, social media, and more information about Story A Day in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so that we can continue to grow and learn more storytelling tips from our special guests. You can learn more about storytelling and writing lessons at kingo.com. That's K-I-I-N-G-O.com. That's all for today. Now, let's get to work and write some great stories.